Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to our weekly Women Today podcast. It's World Autism Day at the weekend, so this week we heard from two mothers whose children are autistic about what it's like dealing with the condition. We caught up with the guys from Team Legless as they prepared for a lap of the TT course on hand bikes in appalling weather conditions. And we were visited by members of the Isle of Man branch of the Campaign for Real Ale, who brought a bucket of beer with them. But first, we finished the week with a visit from a very inspiring young woman. 17-year-old Catherine Reed, recently crowned Sportswoman of the Year and well on her way to achieving her Olympic-sized dreams. She's been extremely successful and even brought home a bronze medal for the UK in last year's Junior World Athletics Championships. And in fact, here's a clip of that moment. 53-20. She has lane four. So away they go. Third from left, and she's challenging Reed here now. Reed is coming through for Britain in lane four, but El Nasser is challenging the American Arby, and she's going to take the title by a metre and a half. And Reed comes on for the bronze behind Arby. What a run down the home straight from Catherine Reed for Great Britain. That was you. <laughs> it just brings back so many good memories. What does it feel like hearing that again? It- Every time I get goosebumps and my heart starts to beat so much quicker just because I remember just the experience and how good it was. It's just so so cool. It must be so different, though, being in that massive arena environment, you know, away from the NSC on the Isle of Man. <laughs> yeah. Like, otherwise, the oh, I've never raced in front of more than a couple of hundred people. So to go and race in front of thousands of people was just insane. Like, I remember walking in and thinking, OK, this many people are here to actually see me. This is crazy. It was just so cool. And the cameras as well. Oh, I didn't know what to do. Me and my roommate were discussing this. We were like, what are you going to do in front of the camera? And she was saying, oh, I, I don't know. And we both just winged it. <laughs> now, I love the fact that um, we got you to send some info about yourself. And you say it was your teachers that first encouraged you and your brother, in fact. Yeah. T- take us back to that moment. Well, it was in primary school. Like Me and my brother both did cross country and stuff like that and sports days. And then teachers kind of said to our parents, they'd actually make quite good runners. So dad took me and Joe down to the NSC on a Wednesday night for a local track meet and we both just kind of fell in love with the sport I guess we just instantly wanted to do every event we could so you've really kind of thrown yourself into it and obviously your family have been very supportive too yeah unbelievably supportive they helped me out with so much especially my dad he's basically my um my little assistant (laughs) so he organizes everything for me I love that who gets to say my dad's my little assistant (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. And obviously, recently, something that's been covered quite a lot on the show, you were crowned Sportswoman of the Year. How did that feel? It was such an honour. I really didn't expect it. When I didn't win the under-21s, I was thinking, like, oh, well, that's me out. And I was really annoyed because I did want to win something. So when my name was actually called, I was ecstatic. And it, there's an interesting um, interview you gave with Tim Glover after the event because you said, I, I really want to say something because you said you <laughs> remembered having been there a couple of years previously and mm. how it made you feel. Yeah, well, I was there to pick up my brother's award because I wasn't up for anything and I think he was racing, so he wasn't there and me and my mum just went along and I went up on stage and got his award and obviously went off and I thought, oh, it was really nice up there and I was thinking, how cool would it be in a couple of years' time if I could be up on that stage like accepting an award and then... For it to actually happen, it was just unbelievable. What a thing. And so obviously you, you you and your brother are very supportive of each other. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to athletics, he's he's my biggest helper because he's been everywhere I want to go. So when I need help planning a race or organising 
what gear I need for an event I can just message him and it'll be straight there like oh you should go here you can come you can do this and then it's just really helpful what's it been like to have to follow him so he's always been that just sort of one step ahead have you been a bit envious I was I'm always been really envious of Joe he because he used to just it was always his face in the papers and all the family would be like oh it's our little Joe and I'd be sat sulking in the corner like oh it should be me so it's nice that we both had our time in the spotlight and then hopefully this year we'll both get our equal share because he was injured last year so he wasn't as lucky with what he could have done but hopefully this year we can both kind of take over and both dominate athletics speaking of dominating athletics which is such a great line um <laughs> olympics <laughs> yeah it's a goal of mine we're not sure how how it could happen but i i want it to happen and we're just going to see how it goes is that something that joe has always had in his mind as well do you think um probably not for this year but he 2020 or 2024 i think he could get there so it could we could both be olympians which would be very very nice oh that would be amazing more olympians from the island man that's what we want (laughs) so how rigorous is your training regime um i train five times a week that's three on the track and two in the gym and every session i come away feeling sick or just terrible so but i love it so i don't mind going even if it's wind and rain I love it. Do you, when you say you come away feeling sick, is that just because you push yourself so hard? Yeah, most of the time. Coach, coach sets some horrible sessions. <laughs> Who is your coach? And Shimmel, she's extremely supportive. She's been with me since since I started athletics, so and a fair number of years. It's just she's just been amazing the whole time. What what's it like on the Isle of Man training to be? Because if I mean you're looking at the Olympics, that is huge. Is there, are there the right kind of facilities and training over here for that? We have what we as long as we've got a track, a gym, and I've got my coach and my trainer group. I'm saying I'm fine. They're all, I've got this far with them, so I can get even further with them as well. So there's nothing stopping me. What was it like when you you didn't have the track, when we had the horrible floods? Did that set you back a bit? It was such a nightmare. We were training on muddy fields and concrete roads, so everybody was coming away with injuries and stuff like that. It was a bit of a nightmare, but we slugged through it and everybody's still looking really strong, so I don't think it was too much of a problem. And I'm intrigued because there's also there's, there's people who have achieved quite a lot from the Isle of Man in, in all sort of walks of life. And one person I happen to know quite well, Davy Knowles, was telling me a long time ago in an interview that when he was a teenager, he spent so much of his time perfecting his craft because he wanted to be a professional musician. That's all he ever wanted to do in his life. That he he did feel that perhaps it impacted a little bit on his youth, and you know, sort of maybe he didn't necessarily have the same experiences as his other friends. Do you feel that at all? I don't. In a way, yes, because with school friends and stuff, I can't see them as often because there's always weekends where I'll say, oh, we'll go do this and I'm always away racing or on a training camp or something. But then the people that I've met across, like the people my age I've met across, they're all just amazing and I've got such great memories with them. So I'm going to come away from my teenage years with some of the best memories ever. So I definitely couldn't complain. You'd, you've always known you wanted to be a professional athlete. Yeah. What was it like when you told your teachers that? Ah, teachers didn't take it very well. They <laughs> got the classic response of, oh, no, you need a real career. And I was like, well, Ooh. that's what I want to do. But I think, especially after this year, what they've realised I can do, people are realising, OK, this is, this is something she is going to do, so we need to support that. 
So this year's definitely been much better for it. So you feel almost like you've proved yourself. Yeah, now. definitely. Yeah, I can imagine that. Do you think that it's something that you're born with to have the talent that you have? Or is it something that you can sort of learn and train into yourself in a way? There's definitely, you can definitely learn or train your, train to be an athlete. But I think you do need to be born with some kind of ability, some something that gives you that motivation and that drive. You definitely mm-hmm. need that. Although you can train and be a really good person, I would say every professional athlete was born with that ability. Mm-hmm. And has there been anyone in particular that's been inspiring to you? I really look up to Usain Bolt. I I just think he's so cool. Well, like, he's so lovely. I know isn't he? he's just he presents himself so well, and for all we know, he's a clean athlete, and he's just so relaxed and so friendly. He just really puts across athletics as a great sport. Yeah. Now, interestingly, you are obviously intending to go off to some of these big major competitions. There's often things that come up in the press about athletes using enhancing drugs and steroids and things like that. Is that ever anything you've come across or you would worry about at all? It is a bit of a worry for athletics because at the minute, like sponsors are dropping out, which means competitions aren't as well organised and things like that. But I I think for me, I'm not too worried because... I know I'd never take anything like that and I've been drugs tested and it all seems very efficient. So the right precautions are being put into place to stop that behaviour. So I'm quite confident in the system and people are getting caught out every every week, every month. So it's definitely something that's being worked on. It's just not worth like going on and taking like any performance enhancing drugs in any way. Like you're going to get caught out eventually. So and then the shame it brings on to you, it's just not worth it. Yeah, well said. Now you apparently have a famous fan in boxer Audley Harrison. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> I received a really lovely tweet from him and a follow, so I was absolutely ecstatic. What did he say? Oh, he said it was a pleasure to meet me, my brother and my mum, and this, that me and, I think he called me and my brother an inspiration, something like that. So, oh, my word. Yeah. How cool is <laughs> Some that? Some really great words, yeah. First of all, obviously, you both have children with autism. Jan, you're, yeah. I suppose, in a very unique position because you have twins, one with autism and one without. Yeah. When did you first realise that there was something wrong with one of your boys? Well, I I actually think we were in denial, to be honest, because the signs were there. When Jamie was two, we were referred to our um, health visitor because he was showing signs. He was rocking backwards and forwards at nursery. Um, We didn't have the eye contact and um, he wasn't interested in anyone actually coming in the room. And they should have that awareness at, at two, at least the nosiness if nothing else and he didn't have that so and when you have twins you're always very aware that you're comparing them to each other so we we definitely didn't do that so we didn't pick this up at all it was actually seen by a nursery worker thankfully what has autism meant for him it's it's more the social side i find i'm not sure he is aware as such but i've i found it very difficult to see matthew Growing up as a as a normal in commas boy with social life, he likes sports. You know, he will come in and, and give you a hug and un, unannounced. Um, whereas we don't get that from Jamie. He doesn't have a network of friends. He he doesn't have sports clubs. He doesn't have youth clubs. So it's it's very much an individual um, kind of disability, if you like. And what about the relationship between the boys? Because twins typically um, can be very, very close. Yeah, well, that's what you hope for when you have twins. You always want them to be bonded and together forever. Um, we don't have that, unfortunately. And that is, it's, it is upsetting and it's hard to see. But Matthew's coped so well with it. I think only the last couple of years he's really noticed 
that Jamie is different, but he's coping really well. And within the last year, I would say he is um, more interactive with Jamie. And because when you speak to Jamie, you, you won't sometimes you will ignore you or it'll appear like he's ignoring you, and he won't even answer you. And that's really hard for a seven or eight year old to to keep asking someone a question when they're not getting any response. So. Matthew is coping really well and, and he does play with him now. He includes him and he'll ask him questions and it's getting a lot better as Matthew gets older because he, get, he gets more awareness of it. Louise, what's life like for you? Um, well, um, Samuel's my only child, so um, I didn't know what to look for and as far as I was concerned, everything was hunky-dory. Life is fine. I, you know, I love him to bits, obviously, and I am lucky. Um, Samuel is very tactile. I've always been a very tactile mother, but I do get lots of kisses and, and hugs. But yeah, it's it's definitely a, a social thing and I worry that Samuel doesn't have a circle of friends and he doesn't go to clubs because um, he finds communication so difficult. You know, my husband would worry about Samuel's future and uh, getting a job, but I worry about Samuel being lonely. That's what I worry about, that sort of side of it. Because he's very, very playful, Samuel. He really is playful, but he finds it very hard to to sort of include other children in his play. And I guess they find it hard to include him in their play as well. So it's just breaking down that communication and social awareness thing. And in terms of awareness and understanding, how well geared up would you say, Louise, that the Isle of Man is at dealing with issues like autism? To be fair, I can't compare it to the UK or Ireland. So um, it's probably the same in the UK and Ireland, but I don't think the awareness is there at all. And I think um, when you're trying to um, explain to an adult what it is, a lot of adults will already have a preconceived notion of what autism is. And that's why I think it's really important to educate the children in the schools as they're growing up. It's not going to be something strange that they don't know about. For, in for instance, when uh, I don't know about Jan, but when I got Samuel's autism diagnosis, I didn't have a clue what autism was. And I found that terrifying. And I think it's important that we educate children so if they ever become a mother and their child gets diagnosed as autism, they're not going to have that fear factor, they're going to know what it is. Because is there any um, idea about how common it is? Somebody, I don't know if it was the National Autistic Society or if it came yeah. from America, but the latest statistics in boys, just boys, now it's one in 42, which is so that's pretty a huge high. growth. So if you have a, an average primary school has two um, reception classes say you will have one at least one child within them two reception classes that has autism so it's, it is getting more prevalent mm. isn't it and, the, and no one seems to know why there's and no research into why so. there is perhaps a, a, a preconception <coughs> as well that this is a modern day <coughs> phenomenon isn't it because I guess there is more awareness about conditions like this yeah I think so I think we just know more about it and maybe it was always there and we just didn't know what it was yeah. So in terms then of raising awareness, this is something that you two are obviously passionate about. What have you been doing um, at Peel Cloth Workers about this? Basically the National uh, Autistic Society Autism Awareness Week falls in the Easter holidays, so they did a separate week for schools. So Mrs Tia basically said, OK, will you try and organise something for us then? So um, thankfully Jan helped me. And I found <laughs> this marvellous thing in America called Autism Atlas. And this lady was a, a mother... And she devised this interactive DVD for school children called Understanding My Friends with Autism. So I got in contact with her and she made sure it was a UK copy and she sent me all the details and we took it from there, really, didn't we? We did. 
<laughs> we were terrified. Very nervously, we took it yeah. from that. Yeah. <laughs> this is a completely uh, new venture for you, but something that you you really feel is key to to helping both your boys and other people deal with this. Absolutely, I think it's really important that children get it, understand what it is, and. We found they were really interested, didn't we? And at the end of it, we got some really good feedback. You know, tell them the story about what the little boy said to you about. Yeah, it was the very last session we did. And um, I was picking all the, the bags up off the floor. And this boy was stood in the middle of the hall. And he was just looking at the ceiling. And he just said to himself, oh, that's why he does that. And I went, oh, oh, I said, oh, what's happened? You know, who are you talking about? He said, oh, Jamie, that's why he flaps his hands. And it was an absolute light bulb moment. It was like a... I felt like shouting, you weaker, you know, because that's what we were aiming for. That's what we wanted. We want children to realise that they flap their hands because they're trying to calm themselves down. They spin because they they can see too much light, you know. And that's that's exactly what this course got through, wasn't it, this presentation? Yeah. It was all about the senses and um, how it affects someone with autism. And in the presentation, some of the... Um, we had a bag of goodies, didn't we? And, and mm. it actually let the children discover what it was like to see through an autistic child's eyes and to feel how they feel a pencil and and it was just brilliant yeah it, it was good fun senses and how different it was so they all got to you know the hearing thing uh, we did like a, a Simon Says and then we did it again but with the really loud noise of the clock and noises of the cars outside so you could barely hear what the instructions were and that was you know the kids like oh god it's really difficult to concentrate and we said that's what it's like for them they hear everything Whereas you can, you've got a filter in your brain that can drown all that out. They just hear everything really, really loudly, so it is difficult for them to concentrate on what you're saying to them. And the other good thing I thought was um, it compared their brains to computers. You know how you get really fast internet now? They were saying, you have a brain that's got this really fast internet, but we have a brain that's like 10 years ago. It's really slow, and it takes time to get the image up on the computer. And I thought that was a really clever way of explaining it to a child because they're all into computers Mm. aren't they do you know it sounds like something that everybody should see these sort of workshops just to give people an understanding of what so many people are living with yeah that's right yeah what future plans have you got then to to extend these workshops to do more things like this maybe next year maybe we could if we got a group of parents together in different schools we could do an all-island school or um autism awareness month is april I, i would certainly be prepared to do it for other people in the month of april if they wanted it to Grab the family, grab a flight, and grab a breakaway with CityWing.com, sponsors of Women Today. You are listening to Women Today. It is 20 minutes to three now. Now, our studio guests you heard at the start of the show are Sam Jones and Kate Bryer from Revel Events. Hello, ladies. Hello. Uh, As we said, thank you very much for joining us. So event management then, what makes a brilliant, successful event? Well, uh, probably planning, (laughs) (laughs) organisation, but mainly great guests, I'd say. People Uh, want celebrities, do they? (laughs) People quite often want celebrities, but they don't necessarily make the best guests. A bit (laughs) of difference, you know, a bit of fun. So you're always trying to sort of outdo your previous event by making things unique and different and interesting? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's we do work to make each event unique. We don't want to sort of trot out anything that's formulaic, formulaic scale. Exactly. Um, and it's nice to work with either with clients on individual themes or work with them to make the event personal to them, uh, reflecting their own personality or the 
the launch or the product or whatever it is you're you're celebrating or promoting. It's um it's nice to think of the think of events in an individual uh, way. How much sort of input do you have into events? Do, do you sort of go to a client and say this is what we're going to do, or would they sort of come to you and say we want such and such? I think we very much work in collaboration with them. Um, as I say, it's good to reflect their personality or you know if, if it's a private event if it's a wedding or a private party or if it's on the corporate side they, they may have more clear ideas about how they want to reflect their brand um and then we will sort of suggest ways in which they Help might be able visualize to visualize things it's, it's about taking their initial idea and visualizing it and developing it and it's quite a journey really yeah it's quite good fun it's really good fun <laughs> it that sounds is, really creative yeah but... that's that's the best bit of it really yeah. i think the kind of um yeah, I mentioned planning initially. I mean, I think you you do need to have that obviously in place, and you've got to have all of the health and safety and those yeah. kind of things. But it's the it's the creative side of it that really gets us going, definitely. And it presumably takes quite a long time to organise some of these really big events then that you've done in the past. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, and even the small events can end up taking a long time because you know you can get quite creative and quite personal with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it all comes down to your deadline and you'll make it work no matter what the deadline and however long you have. Um, but it's nice to have a longer lead time, I won't lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, and get everything. Well, we always get it right, but it's just, you know, um, looking at different options and different ways to make different things work if you've got a longer lead time, really. Yeah. So Sam, you've worked with some big brands over the years, haven't you? Can you can you tell us, uh, uh, give us an idea of who and, and what you did for them? Yeah, I've worked um, in, across marketing and events, really, with some uh, quite big lifestyle brands. So working with uh, luxury motoring companies, uh, likes of Porsche and, and really, again, fun ones like Harley Davidson and um, on anything from big, big product launches with great entertainment, big guest list, down to quite niche sort of customer packages. Um, boating company. I, I was fortunate enough to live in southern Spain for a while, so it's quite glamorous down there nice. and I was exposed to some quite nice brands, really. Um, and then, yeah, some great venues as well in the in the UK. Um, worked in the southwest for a while, so worked with some like, lovely boutique hotels and that sort of thing. So what, because they obviously sound like quite high profile mm. events and probably quite sort of luxury events. What mm. would you say nowadays defines a luxury event? Um, well, I think, I think as with anything, you know, related to luxury today, people expect that experience. So it's not just going along and, and to an event and sort of um, being a part of the, the the showcase. It's about experiencing things, you know, touching things. It's, 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 it's having that sort of... Um, that air of being exposed to something and being a part of it and um, but yeah great, as Kate said great entertainment great hospitality always goes down well so what's the most unusual event you've worked on um unusual event well I've certainly seen a few <laughs> unusual events in Southern Spain um what unusual events um I mean nothing overly unusual um that some of the most fun things I've worked on really um Luxury side, food and drink events, you can't really beat them. They're really immersive, as Kate was saying, you know, people can get involved, um, hands-on, um, but not overly unusual, just really enjoyable. Yeah, and you've also worked with, I mean, we mentioned obviously some really high-profile clients there. You've also worked with all types of clients, from, as you said, motorsport to Michelin-starred chefs as well. Do you, do you have to sort of learn a bit about each of these different industries before you can really sort of throw yourself into an event with them? Um, yeah, I, I think you need to, you know, you need to know, have an understanding of where these um, sort of high profile personalities um, want to go with an event. Mm -hmm. um, 
chefs in particular can be a little bit difficult to work with. I don't know <laughs> if you've had experience of that. Um, but yeah, with the Michelin, with the, the food and drink side of things, like I said, it's really enjoyable getting involved with that side of things. Um, working down in the southwest of England, food and drinks just, you know, the scene is vibrant down there. So food events, brilliant. Um, and on the Isle of Man, I mean, we'd love to have the opportunity of bringing some great chefs here or working with some great chefs on the island to do these sorts of events as well. Would you say that when it comes to motorsport, uh, uh, would I be stereotyping horrendously if I said it's all about scantily clad ladies? <laughs> there is an element of that. I won't lie. More so on the biking side and the, you know, the Harley Davidson events wouldn't quite be the same without. Um, but no, it's 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 certainly um, become a lot more modern, you know. Yeah. Now, Kate, you've worked at the Victoria and Albert Museum, otherwise known as the V&A, to, uh, to those <laughs> of us who right. can't be bothered saying full words. Uh, <laughs> what were you actually doing there? So I was there for just under nine years um, and worked in the events team. It was a very small kind of event management team there. And we did the all of the exhibition launches, uh, private views, fundraising dinners, to kind of small tours for donors um so it was it was brilliant i mean it was an amazing just amazing amazing building and place to work uh working alongside curators who are unbelievably passionate and knowledgeable about their subject and just being exposed to those objects on a daily basis walking through the sculpture gallery on the way on the way to my office which I have to say was kind of in a dark basement but you know hosting events certainly in those galleries was incredible. Well speaking of those objects though you mentioned that at least one of these events you had to manage 1500 guests how do you get them around the objects without breaking (laughs) anything? (laughs) Well yeah it's a challenge I mean we did do some quite quite big parties we did annually uh, the London Design Festival um, and did the opening party for that and that was extremely popular and one of those events that people try and kind of blag their way into so it was always a lot more uh, a lot more people in in, than you really wanted to have Um, and certain you know restrictions in certain galleries but the V&A is quite sort of progressive I guess in its in its approach to events and they do host you know they do kind of push the boundaries I guess so there's um, not all sort of stuffy traditional stuff going on no no I mean the the, the museum were particularly uh, particularly good about sort of throwing quite fun parties I mean we always used to joke that if you went to an opening at Tate Modern you just got warm white wine and a bowl of twiglets <laughs> but at the, v- <laughs> at the V&A we really went for it and we you know we had a lot of fun in theming the events around the particular exhibition that we were opening as well we did a fab exhibition on postmodernism. uh so the dinner that we that we did was really kind of 1980s it was a lot of fun to this the styling of it was was really great and and we had um annie lennox at the opening for that which was quite oh, special as well word, so i love it <laughs> An Alexander McQueen event? Alexander McQueen, yeah, that was the last big project I did. So after we we took the year out travelling, um, came back uh, to London for 18 months and, and did the opening of Alexander McQueen, which was the biggest exhibition that the museum had hosted. It come from New York, but obviously Alexander McQueen is a London boy and, and the, the exhibition itself had been enhanced. They'd kind of grown the number of objects that were included um, mm-hmm. and it was kind of the biggest event in the museum's calendar and in the London calendar, I think, that year. So it was, um, yeah, a really big challenge. Uh, we did L- it, lots of ego massaging. Lots of lots like and lots of ego messaging <laughs> between the sponsors and McQueen and the guests that we had. You know, 
I mean, Victoria Beckham's dietary requirements alone are kind of <laughs> quite challenging. Minimal. <laughs> Pretty minimal, yeah. So tell us what Revel are doing on the Isle of Man now. What, what events have you got planned over here? Well, we've got kind of quite a lot going on and uh, well, a lot going on at the moment and a few interesting things on the horizon too. Um, the project that's keeping us busy at the moment is um, Isle Expo, which is taking place at the Villa Marina at the end of May. And it's a one-day conference. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam has done an awful lot on conferencing in the UK, so we're drawing on on that experience and my experience in programming to create something that's going to be quite different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, something that stands out, we think, from conferences that have perhaps taken place here historically, something yeah. just a bit more energetic and a bit more fun again. And the event celebrates... Um, celebrates the island as a great place to start, grow and relocate your business. It's something that we're uh, working with DD on. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of relevant to our own experience as well in terms of coming back here, mm-hmm. starting up a business. I mean, we think it's a it's a fantastic place to do that. Um, and we, we looked at options for doing it in London and kind of in the southwest as well. But we decided to, to come, come back home. here. Yeah, we think this, so it's not been too much of a culture shock then. No, I mean we do, we do. To be fair, we do we get back. <laughs> we go back every six weeks or so to kind of keep a hand in there. But no, the Isle of Man's got a lot to offer, and and the community has been really good to us since we've come back as well. People have been very open about sharing their contacts, and it's just been really nice to it's refreshing. To network. Really, having yeah. been in London for so many years, and, yeah. and everybody's like say open and helpful. And yeah, London can be quite closed. I mean, mm. London's got great, you know benefits um but being here i mean being day-to-day here, basis it's nicer here yeah. really and also when the sun's shining like yeah. it is today <laughs> and you can see that summer is on the horizon you know fingers just crossed gives <laughs> We provide respite palliative care, specialist respite palliative care for children with life-limiting illnesses and conditions. Uh, We look after children from 0 to 18, um, all the way through their journey, whatever that might be, to end-of-life care. So we're best known for respites of children coming in. We look after them for sleepovers, daycare, or families going away on holiday, but also, very sadly, to the end of life, where they can use our Rainbow Room and our bereavement services with qualified counsellors and staff to look after the family. It's a beautiful environment. I can vouch for that. You've given me the tour. There's lots of activity around here today. What's going on? Today is our Easter party. So we've invited all our families, including the siblings uh, and parents and our children that use Rebecca House. And we've been supported by Doolittles and lots of people in the community have donated their Easter eggs. So there will be a surprise visit from a big Easter bunny later on. So, yeah, we're having a lovely day here at Rebecca House. And you've got another big week for um, Children's Hospice coming up in May. Um, How are you gearing up for that? That's right. We have, it's a national event um, that all children's hospices take part in from the 23rd to the 29th of May. And we've got various events that we're planning. So hopefully we're going to have a pamper evening at the Claremont, uh, a bake-off. We've also got bag packs. So lots of things going on that week to raise awareness and, of course, funds to keep Rebecca House going. And I heard a rumour that you're even on Twitter now. We are on Twitter as Hospice Isle of Man and Facebook, but you can also contact us through our fundraising department as well here at Hospice, 647-400. And how can people get involved? Fundraising, we're always after people you know, to help us. If people want to become involved with the Hospice or Rebecca House, you can contact uh, our fundraising department or our volunteers department, depending how you would like to help out. But we're always very grateful for anybody that wants to get involved with uh, life in the hospice.
By any judgment, Rebecca House is a special place. This dedicated wing of the Isle of Man Hospice is committed to the care and support of children and young people up to the age of 18 and their families who are affected by the trauma of life-threatening and life-limiting conditions. Rebecca House provides a safe haven and a home-from-home environment in which physical, emotional, recreational and spiritual needs are met, though not by decree. Everything is offered and applied in accordance with the wishes of the young patients, their families and carers. Hi Joe, what's your connection to Rebecca House? My son Reese, he comes up here for respite care. He's been coming up, gosh, since he was two maybe, before it was even opened. We had respite care in the home at first and then when Rebecca House opened he started to come up here and have some respite care up here. Seems like a lovely atmosphere, you seem to get on really well with all the girls. Oh yeah, they're all amazing, they're absolutely fabulous, they're like angels in uniforms, we'd be lost without them. (laughs) So they're having an Easter party in there next door, all the kids are having fun, I can hear someone playing on the drums out in the hallway there. And there's some petting animals, they've got hamsters and guinea pigs and there's a huge rabbit in there as well. And I think the kids are having something to eat now. There's quite a few kids in there. It's like quite a party. I mean, how many people can you can you get in here? Do you have many parties up here for the kids? There's siblings groups as well. So my daughter, she came up. She absolutely loves coming up here as well. That's Letitia. Um, And I think there's 30 families altogether. Yeah, I think there's about 30 families altogether. So everyone gets their bit of respite as well, which is great. You must have made friends with other parents. Oh yeah, yeah, we all kind of get on, it's like our own family, (laughs) it's like our own little family, so we all, yeah, it's nice to catch up, we've got another night coming up soon, a quiz night, so it's parents versus staff. That sounds like it could be dangerous. (laughs) That'll be interesting with no children here, so that'll be nice for all the parents to get together, and yeah, it's nice just to be able to talk to people in the similar um, situation as yourself. Of course. And do you get involved um, ever with the fundraising for Rebecca House? Yes, yes. Um, Frances Bland here, she, she's organising a pamper, pamper evening. So myself from Passion Hair and Beauty is going to come and do some beauty treatments for people at the slumber party. Yeah, so, so that'll be quite interesting. And hopefully I know a few other beauty therapists as well, so they're going to come and, and help out as well and do some pamper pampering. Well, fundraising is so important, obviously, for Rebecca House to be able to continue to do days like this. Yeah, yeah, I've done quite a lot of fundraising. I did a skydive a few years ago. That I think we raised about £3,500. I think last year it was about £6,700. We did a, an auction night as well. So, yeah, I, I, and it's enjoyable. I like to do it. It's nice to give something back as well. of excitement in Manx Radio and uh, the <laughs> studio today because we have been visited by Roger Cave and Karen Hargreaves from Camera, the campaign for real ale and uh, there are some little beer samples in front of us. Don't worry if anyone's listening from management, they've not got loads of beer around it's just little samples but you know you couldn't come without them really could you? Yeah. Uh, so Roger, what is Camera? Camera is the campaign for real ale. It's just celebrated its 45th birthday. It was formed in 1971 and it's gone from strength to strength to strength. Uh, it is reckoned to be the single most successful single issue pressure group ever formed. Wow. And we're still, we're still doing a very, very good job. Why was it needed? It was needed because the brewing industry uh, was monopolised by four big breweries, Watney's, uh, Scottish Newcastle, uh, and a couple of others, Whitbread, I think. And... The product that they were producing 
It was a sterile uh, brown liquid with alcohol in it. Uh, beer is, or real ale, uh, is a living product. It is made with four basic ingredients. Uh, it's left in the cask to ferment, uh, and it continues to ferment uh, and develop flavours. And what the big four brewers were doing uh, were creating a cask product, uh, which was killed off, so no further fermentation or um, development of flavours, and it was just shipped out to the pubs, uh, connected to a gas canister, and pressurised up into the into the tankard. And it was an inferior product, which people had no choice, they had to drink it, uh, until camera came along and said, enough's enough, uh, beer is a wonderful product, a wonderful drink, we should be celebrating it and we should be encouraging uh, brewers to brew the proper, the real deal. I love that we're that passionate about it. It's, yeah, well, it's you great. Do. I'm sorry, I'm a bit of an anorak. But. <laughs> Interestingly, though, uh, I turned on my television this morning mm. and there was a news article about Camera uh, who are apparently looking to change direction. It, has Real Ale been saved? Uh, Real Ale has been saved, um, but the new direction that they're talking about is to concentrate now on the outlets, on the pubs. Uh, pubs are still closing at an, an alarming rate, about 30 a week. And... The problem is we've saved, if you like, uh, real ale, but now we've got to save the buildings in which you can serve it. Mm. Uh, you have to have a pub to serve real ale. Uh, it's, it's delivered in the cask, it is vented, it's spiled, it is left to settle, left to mature, and then it has a shelf life, uh, three, four, five days maybe. Um, if you haven't got a building in which to serve it, you haven't got real ale. There's nowhere to put it. But the buildings themselves have changed so much over the years because I know my sister who moved out to the States when she came back to the island recently, she just wanted to go to an old-fashioned pub and I couldn't quite think of where to direct her because so many of them are turning into sort of very modern sort of gastro pubs now, aren't they? Uh, they are, but that needn't necessarily uh, stop them selling real ale. Uh, it doesn't matter what building it is as long as you've got a cellar uh, to keep it reasonably cool Uh it can be a gastro pub. It can be my garage. I mean, I know quite a few people, camera members, actually brew their own beer in their garage. Mm -hmm. Now, Karen, you are the vice chairman of chairman of Camera Isle of Man. How many members are there? On the island, there's three uh, around three hundred. Yeah, I can't actually tell you how many of those are female. Unfortunately, I should be able. But to. there are some. <laughs> oh yes, there's quite a few of us. Now, I'm interested because we were talking before about the different types of beer that are available now. And I know you can get sort of honey beers and you can get fruit beers and you can get all these different types of ale with all these different flavours in them, can't you? It's interesting because I would have thought that that would have been somewhat frowned upon as sort of changing the ale. But it, it's not, is it? No, because it's still natural products mm. and you've still got the four basic ingredients. It's just something added to them. Mm. I mean, locally, I think they've added... Uh, raspberries uh, the moment they've got a chocolate chip one with lactose in it and Bush's Brewery they've done one with berries from from Tristan Tr Tristan Dacuna wow you know so it, it's all an experimental thing and you you never know what the product's going to be at the end of it mm -hmm. when you've got all those ingredients added into the beer how much of how much of the beer can you actually still taste oh you can still taste the beer <laughs> and and Sometimes you can't actually identify what the additive, what they've added to it. It's just give it a different flavour. Mm. Sometimes I, I don't particularly like most of these 
um, speciality, speciality beers. Beers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but you know there are people that do and cider is also represented, isn't it, Roger? That's part Very of much it as so. well. Yes, we, this year's festival, a lot of it got over 200 different beers. We have over 55 uh, ciders and perries and a selection of fruit wines. And the mm. Isle of Man puts forward quite a few, doesn't it? Oh, yes, indeed. Yes, we've. Uh, I'm trying to remember now, you put me on the spot. We've got the Manx Cider Company, of course. They, uh, they provide uh, a selection of ciders. And the Apple Orphanage, uh, they do cider. Um, Yes, we're, we're very, very well served on the island. And breweries as well, of course. We've got three big breweries and we've got the small uh, Shaw Hotel uh, brewery at Laxey. Mm-hmm. So four breweries on the island for the island this size. And the range of beers that they do as well, it's it's phenomenal. And award-winning as well. And award-winning, award indeed. Yeah, yes. is, is there any animosity between cider and beer drinkers then? Uh, there's a friendly rivalry, a friendly <laughs> banter. Um, it's, I should think... If you're a Manchester City fan and you're living next door to a Manchester United fan, it's, uh, it's that sort of rivalry, yes. <laughs> I'd love that idea. So how how does a pub or would it be the drink qualify to be to have sort of a camera label? Is it, it's, you can be a camera pub, can't you? Uh, yes, uh, we, camera produce a, a tome called uh, The Best Beer Guide mm-hmm. and it lists uh, all the pubs that they feel... Uh, or the pubs enter themselves and they're visited by a camera member uh, and if the beer's up to scratch, if the, the pub is good enough, yes, mm-hmm. they'll recommend it goes into the uh, good beer guide. Yeah. And are there lots of them on the Isle of Man? Yes. Very, there's, I think, uh, the last pub that wasn't selling cask ale, as we call it, uh, was converted last year. So every single outlet on the Isle of Man, which is a, a pub, Mm-hmm. serves real ale, cask ale. Fantastic. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. What I'm noticing is that there are some absolutely incredibly thought-up names for beers now <laughs> and different ciders. Um, is it true that the coolest names are the most popular? <laughs> you answer that one. <laughs> um, there are quite a few sexist names out there for beer, and I yep. do try to... <laughs> Not to bother drinking them. I don't see why they should have my money. <laughs> I mean, there's one in the House of Commons. I can't remember the name of it, but it's quite sexist. Um, but no, I think some of the names are quite quite quirky and, and a good laugh. Yes, it is. And it, it's, it puts a smile on people's faces before they've even actually tasted the beer. They think, oh, that's funny. I'll try some of that. And yes, it just adds to the experience. Have you guys got a personal favourite? Um, no. No, <laughs> no. It, it's, some people will tell you that, oh, I had a pint of Marston's pedigree last year and it wasn't half as good as the Marston's pedigree I had 10 years ago. Well, I treat that as a load of guff because I can't remember <laughs> what I tasted last week, let alone 10 years ago. Um, but as long as the beer is in its, the condition it's meant to be in, I don't think you'll get a bad beer. You'll get some that you like more than others, you prefer more than others. Uh, for instance, we've got one here, which is a single hop bitter, and that is absolutely gorgeous. And if I had to say out of the, the four that we've brought along, that would be my favourite. But next week, I might be in a different mood. I might have had something different to eat. I'll go on to another beer and say, that's my favourite. It's like music. you know. What is your favourite piece of music? And at the festival, you supply um, you supply food with all the beers. Mm. 
How do you pair the beer off with the food? Is that something you can do? That is something you most certainly can do. Uh, we're not doing it this year because uh, it'd have to be just in a, a small group of people uh, pairing off. Because obviously, if you're going to have a, a seven-course banquet, for instance, you'd have seven different beers. Well, by that time, everybody would be legless, so it would be pointless. <laughs> but yes, it can be done. It is done. Uh, we'll try and rearrange that maybe for next year's festival. Because each festival we do, we add something new uh, and we expand that could be good. We are doing a cheese pairing with beer this year, though. Are we? Nobody yes. told me that. I'm terribly sorry, Roger. Yes, Isla Man Creameries are kindly setting up a cheese tasting. Amazing. Oh, that's good. Cheese and beer. It's all yeah. changed, doesn't it? No Absolutely. longer wine. No. I know. I can't like think that. of anything better than a plate full of cheese in a pint. Absolutely. We're going to uh, cycle the um, TT lap, but... Not only are we going to cycle it, we've got a couple of guys who are going to use hand cycles as they have no use of their legs. Why? <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> uh, it actually started uh, in Boxing Day last year. We were out having a uh, celebrated drinks. Kurt went, I want to be part of Team Legless. And we went, OK, give us an idea and we'll see what we can do. And then apparently he came up with this one. And here we are. Yes. <laughs> and have you been around the course before? Only on a scooter at the TT. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, never on a push bike. Uh, it's got to be interesting on a hand cycle, definitely. Now, how do you prepare for something like this? We went out cycling, did as much as we can. Uh, the lads have been in the gym on the old hand bikes in the gym. They've been out on the hand bikes on the roads. Um, I had to go on the hand bike, did about five minutes on it, and I'm glad I'm not doing the lap on it. And have you learned the course? No. No. Is the answer to say that's plain and simple? No. <laughs> Rob Oswald said that he'd rather see the hills when he saw them and not know they were coming. He'll learn it as we go. Apparently somebody keeps talking about a mountain. Yeah, there's some mountain in the way. Because, <laughs> I mean, we were talking last night on the phone, you said there's been amazing support for this, but you weren't expecting it, were you? Uh, not at all. We just thought we'd do it ourselves, you know, and just uh, obviously get in touch with the police beforehand just to say, you know, can we come over and do it? But the amount of support around the UK, you know, it's absolutely staggering. You know, we, we never expected it, but I'm overwhelmed by it and I, I just can't wait to get going. And how long do you think it's going to take? See you next. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Matt. We had to come out to support the guys today. So it was myself, Jim, and Tony. Uh, Tony and I are in the Navy. Then Jim was in the Army as well. So we saw what the guys were doing. So it was really good. And folk come along and support. Really. Have you actually cycled around the TT course? Yeah, I've done it before. Yeah. So nice. what, what do you think are going to be their biggest challenges? Uh, the mountain, I'd say. The first half of it's okay. It's quite steep, but I think the wind's going to get us up there. Mind over matter, really, isn't it up there? I'm Anne Cotty. I'm the county secretary of the Royal British Legion. And I'm Jim Cottier and I'm an ex-soldier and I'm here to support Team Legless today. Now you say support, you've brought your bicycle. Well yeah, well supporting as in help, well, riding with them. Glad to help them out. And what about you as representative of the Legion, what does it mean to you? We're here to support our veterans, I mean he's gone through an awful lot and this is a fantastic challenge for him and we're just sorry the weather's not so good. You did it, man! How do you feel? Uh, tired, exhausted, cold and wet. But yeah, overall, massively relieved it's done and uh, it's a great achievement of everyone here. And you've been training for so long. How, how did it pan out based on what you were anticipating? It was as tough as I expected with the, uh, a lot of the inclines and the hills and the mountain. Um, but I think the weather played a massive part as well. Uh, but, uh, um, an element we weren't expecting, it just kind of worked against us. But we battled through it and we're here now, so yeah. Now, you keep doing these challenges. <laughs> Have you got, like, a message behind them for people that are kind of following you? Um, I think overall it's just after uh, I was injured, 
you're trying to find a way of going out there and continuing to achieve things even though not letting disability get in the way of things so not if i can do it i'm sure there's other people out there as well that are, they're just looking for that little bit of motivation to get out there themselves and be able to do it so hopefully it'll provide that for them yeah and how did the kit go because really there's no way you could have anticipated how this was going to fare no to be honest my bike was fine uh, i think a few of the normal conventional bikes had a few issues but um yeah i think mine and kurt's bike were perfectly fine yeah all good so tonight Tonight, um, straight to Legion. Hopefully, get a bit of well-deserved uh, refreshments. Yeah, just get a bit of uh, recovery timing. And are you planning on doing a Victors this year? I am, yes. Hopefully, I can't say we're not. I've been selected yet because it's not official yet. But um, I think in the next two or three weeks they're going to announce the uh, UK team. So hopefully, I'll be uh, off to Florida in um, in May. So that'll be your next challenge, or have you got any more of these sort of challenges on the go? Uh, we've got a few more in the pipeline. Um, but I think we need a few weeks to recover from this one first, so, and then uh, we'll see how we get on. How are the arms? Uh, a little bit tender. It's, yeah, they're like elastic bands at the moment, but uh, we'll see, see how they go. Kurt, I, so, I know you want to get out of the bike. You're sopping wet here. <laughs> this was your idea. Any regrets? Uh, not now, but going up the going up the mountain, I was cursing myself, definitely. I was like, what am I doing? Like, you know, but the weather was... It was just a headwind all, all the way. But yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm overjoyed. You know, the amount of support around the track now, start, finish, you know, it's unbelievable. You know, I've got a pocket full of cash here now just to put in the, put in the charity bin, you know, so I, honestly, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I can't, I can't believe I've done it, to be fair. You know, I, I, I took up hand cycling two months ago from nothing, and I thought, it's a little bit ambitious, this, but I, was, I wasn't going to give up. No chance. But the two of you in these hands, Bikes. I mean, who'd have thought you could get over the mountain in one of these? That's why no one's done it, because <laughs> you know how, what an absolute lunatic idea. But, you know, I thought, I've, I've become a member of Team Legless two months ago, and, you know, and the, the TT and the Isle of Man is close to my heart with, uh, with my brother racing here. And, and I thought, you know, instead of uh, racing around at 200 mile an hour, I'd do it on a hand cycle for charity and uh, got round all right, you know. So, I honestly, I can't wait for a beer, honestly. I'm, I'm parched. <laughs> Which is a great achievement then, motorbike or hand cycle? Oh, uh, well, hats off to the guys that, who, who race around here on them super bikes, you know, but I'll put them on one of these and then <laughs> see what they say at the end. But yeah, honestly, I, I'm so chuffed with myself and, and the whole support team that's come with us and Team Legless, you know, it mean, means the world to us. And what's next? Going straight into the spa, jacuzzi, sauna. We've got Scott Physiotherapy, they've got to sort our aches and pains and then uh, back up to the house, quick change, beer. You've had some nourishment along the way, actually. I noticed from the photos, bit of bit of a stopgap on way. Oh yeah, yeah. I w- would like to thank the Sulby Glen. Uh, they actually put on a, a big, big old spread for us, you know. So I was scoffing down on sandwiches and scones and coffee, you know. And we could feed the five thousand out the back of my van, you know. We brought so much food, you know. And my friends and neighbours and whatnot, they've knocked up cool boxes and sandwiches and all that just to go right there. You go so. I've got to get stuck into that now, I'm pretty hungry. <laughs> you must be in so much pain as well. It's going to be weird standing up after sitting in that for so long, isn't it? Oh, I'll be like Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I don't think I can get out of it. <laughs> I might just roll down to the house. It's only at the bottom of Braille, so... Well, listen, congratulations. It's an amazing feat, and I hope you raised loads of money. Yeah, thank you very much, and uh, cheers, guys, for the support. Yeah. Honestly, it really does mean a lot. Thanks for listening to our Best Bits of the Week. If you missed any of last week's programmes and would like to hear them in full, you can listen on demand at manxradio.com for seven days after broadcast. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at MRWomenToday. Today.
Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click Shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.